0: Good to have you worshiping with us this morning. If you're here as a guest for the first time, we're just grateful for your presence, thankful that you're worshiping with us. And if you're actually here in person, I uh, would appreciate it if you would take the bulletin. There's an extra flap and then you could fill that out and then you would put it in the offering as you leave. The offering is in a box on the welcome table as you leave in the entryway so we're hopefully that you'll find your way to that, if you would. Uh, Several things that we need to call your attention to. First of all, immediately after the service, there is a choir rehearsal for those who are interested in being part of the uh, Easter morning choir, and that rehearsal will take place in the administrative office over here to my right, to your left, okay, that's immediately after the service. You also have a get to know us lunch, so we've had some RSVPs for that. If you're a late comer and you wanna know what that's all about, you're sure welcome to join us, but that's immediately after the service. Well, I think we'll start about 12. 1215, uh, something like that, so you're welcome to join us for that. Also, I wanted to continue to ask you to be praying. I'm glad to see Manisha here, so Manisha's surgery is over and she's recuperating. We continue to pray for her. Also continue to pray for Mary Bristow. Uh, Mary is home now, so she had pancreatitis. She was in the hospital for quite some time. Continue to pray for for her healing and recovery, and found out this morning that John Roskam is home, and so just continue to pray for John, if you would, sure appreciate that. Uh, we have announcements in the bulletin about where we're standing as far as the egg count, uh, candy count. Uh, we're still short some candy, so thank you all for your working. Your, we're chipping away at it, so the the packing. Of the eggs it takes place next Saturday morning beginning at 9 o'clock. So if you can come help us out with that, many hands make light work. So it'll help get us, uh, get all our eggs packed up so we're ready to have the, uh, the Easter egg hunt on the 16th. And you know, I was just thinking about this, I just really want to challenge uh, us as a church body to be praying about this. You know, sometimes we get in the habit of just doing activities and thinking that we're just doing an activity. Uh, But this is really an opportunity for us to to reach out and to share the the real meaning of Easter with our friends, our neighbors, our family. And so I really would pray, ask you to be praying with me for God to use this time as an outreach opportunity. It's a way for us to connect, a way for us to interact with people that we normally wouldn't have a chance to do and uh, share the the good news of a risen Savior uh, that we have, and you have cards that are on your seats as you sat down. We have plenty more on the table as you leave, the welcome table. So take them and use them. Pass them out and invite people to come to our Easter morning service. Invite uh, the people to come to the Easter egg hunt. Invite, uh, Tell them you'll come with them to the Easter egg hunt. And you know the whole lawn will be full of uh, Easter eggs and hopefully 5,000 of them out there for people to get and, and candy and stuff. So just a, a real interesting time and exciting time for us as believers to to share the love of Jesus with those that we care about. I'd like you to uh, join me as we uh, worship the Lord in prayer. Father, we commit these things to you, uh, these people that are dear to our hearts and, and others, Father, that I didn't mention who are struggling with, with illness and sickness. We pray for your restorative power to work in them and for your spirit to renew them even though their outer bodies may be decaying lord i pray that their inward spirit would be renewed day by day i thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you in spirit and in truth to sing about a risen savior to sing about a wonderful and merciful savior i pray now that as we open your word that you would speak to our hearts about these truths and drive them home to us those of us who are listening or hearing here who may not, never have actually surrendered our lives to Christ, that we would see the reason to do so and, and feel led and moved by your Spirit to do that. And those of us who know you, Lord, that we would come to more fully appreciate what it is that you've done for us and gain a clearer picture of what it is you want us to do for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the most uh, disturbing, well, first of all, i just say this, thank you for praying. I, uh, I know some of you were asking me about uh, going down to get my folks, so I, I flew down to pick up my folks and, and well, drive them, not pick them up, to, to be there and to drive them home. Uh, from Arizona. And uh, thank you for praying for my wife, too, because while I was headed this way, she was headed that way. So she went down to get her mom and drove her mom back from Florida, and I went down to get my folks and drive them back from Arizona. So we're, as uh, my, my son said, it's a Smith taxi service. So we were uh, taxiing our family, but it's good. As I was thinking about the text for this morning, you think about injustice. And one of the most uh, Evident ways that you see the most disturbing manifestations of injustice is when we see somebody who's obviously guilty, but they're never held accountable. You know, it's like, well, wait a second, what, what, what is up with that? They're, they're responsible for the wrongdoing, but they, they never get held accountable. And that's only compounded when the person that is not held responsible for what they did, but in fact they end up being rewarded. For their criminal activity, or in, in in maybe not for it, but along with it, I read an article, and I, I read this several several years ago, and so I searched it again and, and and confirmed it. in in April on April 22nd of 2014, uh, the the Internal Revenue Service handed out 2.8 million dollars in bonuses to employees who had received disciplinary action. So these are employees who are receiving disciplinary action they received 2.8 million dollars in bonuses 1 million dollars in bonuses came to internal revenue service employees who either didn't pay their taxes or who underreported on their taxes go figure you know and unfortunately we've become to the point that some of us aren't surprised And so this is the egregious injustice. But there's there's another injustice that's equally egregious, and that is it's not just when the people who are guilty are not held responsible and then those who are guilty and not held responsible are rewarded, but it's also those who are not guilty who are held accountable for sins they never committed. And that's the injustice that we come to in the text of Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 36. 26, if you would open your Bibles there, we're going to see that this is what happens to Jesus. Jesus' innocence is ignored, okay, and he's sentenced to death. But I would like to contend to you that Jesus' innocence shouldn't be ignored, at least it shouldn't be ignored by us. And so in Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 26, there are three aspects of the civil trial of Jesus. Now, two weeks ago, I I preached on the religious trial of Caiaphas, okay, when he was before Caiaphas, the high priest. Last week, Mark preached on the issue of Judas and his betrayal uh, of Jesus Jesus and what that all involved in his, his betrayal of Jesus. But... Now we're back at the, the, the civil trial. And so the, the, what Mark preached on was just kind of a parenthesis, okay? kind of a parenthetical phrase between these two trials. The religious trial took place at night, and the civil trial takes place during the day. okay. So we see the story picked up, and, and, and there are three aspects of this civil trial before Pilate that emphasize the innocence of Jesus, and expose the injustice of his condemnation. And I think that it should call every one of us to stop and and, and consider and respond. Respond to the fact that as an innocent man was condemned with either repentance and belief in this person who did this for us, or if we know Jesus as our Savior, then it should surely cause us to reflect on the cost to him And should move us to live our lives in surrender to him fully for all that he did for us. We should be thinking in terms of, wow, this innocent guy only highlights my wretchedness. His innocence is exposing our own wickedness to either move us to repentance or if we're repentant as a child of God to move us to service and love and rejoicing in what he's done for us. I hope you have your Bible with you. If you don't, you have a Bible app on your phone or something. If not, there should be a Bible somewhere in a seat uh, underneath of you, in front of you. If you'd grab that Bible and turn to Matthew 27, I'm going to begin reading verses, uh, verse 11 and read down through verse 26. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, "It is as you say." Got to love that. Verse 12. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, "Do you not hear how many things they testify against you?" And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So that the governor was quite amazed. Now, at the feast of the governor, the feast the governor was accustomed to release For the multitude, any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they were holding at that time a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. When therefore they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ, or called Christ?" Verse 18, for he knew that because of envy they had delivered him up. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves." And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Three different phases are laid out, I think, in the text. At least that's how I'm breaking it down. You could break it down differently, I'm sure you could. First of all, it seems that Pilate's interrogation defends our lord's innocence. The interrogation of Pilate to Jesus, and there are two parts of the interrogation I see that work to defend Jesus innocence. First of all, the examination, okay? The examination of Jesus by Pilate. He says in verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor. He stood before the governor, he having been brought to the governor, bound to him in the morning. Now if you go look up at verse 1 of chapter 27 you see the context here now when morning had come and the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death so verse 11 is after they brought him bound in the morning because the evening they had decided their dastardly deed that they were going to bring Jesus and they bound him and brought him in the morning bound and they said they had already determined, they had taken counsel, that they were going to put him to death. And so they began, uh, Luke tells us that the Sanhedrin, that's the chief priests and elders and these people, they had already begun to accuse Jesus before Pilate. In Luke chapter 23, verse 2, it says, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now these were serious but false charges, okay, serious but false accusations that, were brought against, uh, that are brought against Jesus. They're accusations of rebellion and insurrection, okay, against Rome. Problem was, everybody knew that they were false. Even Pilate knew they were false. I mean, Jesus had lived a, a life of submission to and in support of the Roman authority. We read it back in Matthew chapter 17 uh, that he he not only paid taxes, but he told his people to pay their taxes. Matthew 22, he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. So Jesus was not guilty of what they're saying he's guilty of. But this charge of blasphemy, he'd made himself out to be the Son of God and called himself the Christ. By Jewish law, it was punishable by death. But the Romans didn't give a rip about what the Jewish law said, they could care less if he was punishable by death for that. No. What they needed was, they needed something bigger. So the the Pharisees, they fabricated a a charge of sedition that somehow he was trying to undermine the Roman government so they could get the Romans to implement the death sentence on Jesus. I think John MacArthur is correct in his commentary when he says this of the Sanhedrin. He says, their design was not simply to have Jesus put to death, but to avoid responsibility for it, they wanted Jesus taken out, but they didn't want to be blamed for it. Okay. But all through the text, their hypocrisy is is blatantly evident, because they, they deliberately violate uh, their own standards of of what's just, what's right, and their rules. You know, they they violate those things, and they knowingly engage in deception. But you look at what they're interested in. Last week, Mark touched on the fact that they, they, didn't, they didn't want to, when, when Judas gave back the money, they couldn't take the money. They, they, it was blood money. So they, they're all worried about blood money, even though they knew it was trumped up charges and Jesus wasn't guilty. So they're worried about that. And then over in John, chapter 18, they, they couldn't go into the praetorium where they were taking care of the civil trial because that would defile them. And then they wouldn't be able to enjoy, enjoy the Passover. Um, but, you know, Jesus was, was there, and so they were, they, were, they were waiting outside. Their accusations prompted Pilate to ask, are you the king of the Jews? Because they had said, you think you're the king of the Jews? Yeah, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, yep. No, he said, it is as you say. He said the same thing over in chapter 26, verse 64. It is as you say, or very close to it. It is. He's not denying that he is the king of the Jews. Now, by itself, to say that he was a a king was treasonous, okay? And he could have been executed because of it. But John, in this passage that you see on the screen, there records an interaction between Jesus and Pilate that proves to Pilate that he's innocent. So look at the text. It says, Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this purpose I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? After this saying, he came out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no grounds at all for charges in this case. Okay. Because Jesus had come, and he says in this interaction, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my, my, my people would have been fighting for it. And so he had proved, at least to Pilate, that he really was no threat to Rome. Okay? Um, he convinced the governor of his innocence, all right? and, and Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. So that everyone who would believe in him would be delivered from their sins. He wasn't trying to overthrow Rome, he was trying to overthrow the selfish, sinful heart. And they would be redeemed and brought into a relationship with God and enter the kingdom of God. And his heavenly kingdom was no threat to the Roman earthly kingdom. And so he said, he's not guilty of any treasonous charge. And he sought to release him. In Luke chapter 23, verse 4, uh, he says, that Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no grounds for charges in, this, in the case of this man. So there's the examination, okay, defends his innocence. Then the accusation against Jesus by the Sanhedrin in verses 12 through 14, also. So they were upset. I mean, they, they didn't like Pilate saying he's innocent, okay? Can't, can't handle that. And so they intensified their accusations against Jesus. Uh, Luke tells us that they said he's inciting rebellion, he's trying to do all this stuff. But Jesus remained silent in the text, you know, he's being accused, all these accusations, many, many accusations, and he doesn't say anything. Some of you are familiar with the fact that uh, there's, a, there's a, a laptop, that uh, Hunter Biden has, had, a, had a laptop, and it was presented to then Attorney General Bill Barr and the FBI, and they had the laptop, okay? In uh, 2019, they had this laptop with all this incriminating evidence on the laptop, but they didn't say anything. In fact, they still haven't said anything. Basically. Silent. Okay. Well, they remained silent. But Pilate gave Jesus a chance to answer the multitude uh, of the accusations against him. He says in verse 13, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Now, whereas Bill Barr and the FBI, uh, their silence uh, evokes suspicion. Okay. Which now has been confirmed. as <laughs> yes. should have been suspicious. But Jesus' silence was not evoking suspicion, but actually evidence of his innocence. He saw no no need to respond to the accusations. And Pilate was surprised. He was amazed. He was amazed because if you were before a governor and you didn't say anything, you were assumed guilty. He figured that Jesus would try to defend himself. He figured that Jesus would try to plead for mercy. This is Jesus. He saw so no reason for either one. He's not going to try to defend himself. And he's not going to try to plead mercy. He's God. These guys have nothing on him. And he knows it's a sham. And as, as Alan read, for the joy of the cross, he endured it. This was his father's plan, and he had submitted to it in the garden. Not mine, but your will be done. He knew, and yet he proceeded, and he went on. And Pilate was amazed. He had no reason to do either. And what's amazing here, just like when Judas was betraying his Lord in fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus in fulfillment, of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 says, Like a sheep he will be led before like a lamb to slaughter, like sheep before his shears is dumb. He will he will be reviled and he will say nothing in retort, nothing in defense. Isaiah fifty three, verse seven. You can read it. I paraphrase it, it's not exactly what it says, okay? So don't think I quoted verbatim. But the idea was he was fulfilling this prophecy, this messianic prophecy about the suffering servant of the Lord by silence. And Pilate, Jesus, he refused to dignify their false accusations. And Pilate knew he was innocent. And the second aspect of this trial before the civil authority of Pilate, we see that Pilate's interaction with the crowd, demonstrates our Lord's innocence. Now, what we don't see here is that uh, between verses 14 and 15, over in Luke chapter 23, verses 6 through 12, is that Pilate, uh, let's don't go there yet, okay? Uh, we, what we don't see here is that Jesus had been taken from Pilate to Herod. So now in verse 15, Jesus is received back by Pilate from Herod, and Herod has come to the same conclusion that Pilate has, that Jesus is innocent. And so Pilate received back uh, Jesus back from Herod, and he didn't find any fault in him. So Jesus uh, is still innocent as far as Pilate's concerned. The governor needed some diplomatic way to prove his innocence or to get him off the hook without jeopardizing Pilate's own reputation or his own very very own life. Okay, because the crowd's getting stirred up and he wants some diplomatic way. And so he uses something of the common practice of the day, which was for the governor to release a prisoner to the crowd that the crowd wanted. Okay, on, they're, they're having the celebration, so he's giving them what they want. He's going to give them something that they, that they want. In verses 15 and 16, it says, Now, the feast of the governor, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the multitude, what feast? Passover, okay? He was uh, accustomed to release to them for the multitude, any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they were holding at that time a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Okay, so we got two prisoners here. A notorious prisoner, Barabbas. And we know from other places that he was well-known. He was a revolutionary, that he was guilty of murder and insurrection. Mark tells us that, Mark 15:7. So here you have a murderer and an insurrectionist, and then you have Jesus. Let's just imagine, which is probably not an imagination thing, but let's imagine our, our, our border patrol agents along the southern border have a drug cartel uh, kingpin who is also a human trafficker. And then, uh, you know, let's, let's say that uh, John MacArthur shows up. Okay, so we got two guys here. Which one do you want? You know, you you can pick. And so Jesus is described in Luke 23, verses 13 to 14. uh, Now Pilate summoned to himself the chief priests and the rulers of the people, and he said to them, You brought this man to me on the ground that he is inciting the people to revolt. And behold, after examining him before you, I have found no basis at all in the case of this man, for the charges which you are bringing against him, no nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. and Behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. So that's Jesus, and then we have here the murderer and the insurrectionist. Okay? So that's the case. And what's interesting is that in, in, a, in a series of uh, um, uh, this option to release to the crowd, the governor asks a series of penetrating questions, and each of these questions, in fact, serves to prove Jesus' innocence. So if you look down at the text, there are, there are four main questions that Pilate asks in this interaction between himself and the crowd. We're going to go through them one by one. First of all, whom do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? I like the way he framed that. I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta admit, uh, Pilate's, I mean, he's pretty savvy here, right? Uh, Whom do you want me to release? Barabbas, the notorious prisoner who is a murderer and insurrectionist, or Jesus, who is called Christ. The Jewish people were longing and waiting for their Messiah. That's what Christ means, Mashiach. It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. He is your Messiah. Or at least he claims to be your Messiah. And many of the people thought him to be the Messiah. Not every one of them. He wasn't the kind of Messiah that the the religious leaders and many people wanted. But he is there. So he contrasts them. He's appealing to their longing for this Messiah. And the fact that many of them claim. Would the people choose a criminal? Or Christ? Gitmo detainee. Or Franklin Graham. Who should I release? Terrorist? Or evangelist? Tough choice, right? No. And the impetus for Pilate's question, which is also revealing, also proves, I think, the... the, Innocence of Jesus, or it hints at it at least. Notice verse 18. For he, that is Pilate, knew that because of envy, they had delivered him up. <laughs> okay, he, he's, 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 he's building it up. Criminal versus Christ, uh, because he knows that uh, because of envy, they delivered him. He's exposing their sinfulness. He's exposing their selfishness. He's exposing their hypocrisy. All right? And their false teaching hes undermining their popularity, the religious leaders' popularity. He's undermining their authority before the people and their credibility before Rome. These people are a sham. Pilate, no, I'm saying that. Pilate, I think, is insinuating, okay? Pilate, he wasn't fooled. Some of you may know, some of you may not know the name of General Michael Flynn who, who was, uh, his reputation was impugned greatly by people who wanted to, to, to ruin him, okay? That's what they're trying to do to Jesus here. They're trying to do that to Jesus. And secondly, Pilate knew Jesus' innocence. Look at verse 19. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent, him, sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream Because of him. Pilate's belief in Jesus' innocence uh, was reinforced by his wife's declaration. Now think about that. This is a governor. He's actively involved in a trial. And his wife interrupts the official business of the day. That doesn't happen. Unless it's really important. Which only adds credibility to the fact that that he he really is in it. Have nothing to do with this righteous man. In answer to Jesus' first question, whom should I release to you? The chief priests and the elders had stirred up the crowd and persuaded them to ask for Barabbas. This is what we see in verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. Pilate's going, what? You're not serious here. Confused and, and surprised, maybe perhaps, by the ability of the Sanhedrin and the people to influence the crowd to ask for the wrong person. So the governor restates the question, okay, in hopes of a different answer. Which of the two do you want me to release for you? Um, Sometimes, uh, like I, I help out with a wanna, and I'm a listener at a wanna, and so we have the students in our in the classrooms. We break up for our council time, and um, sometimes we we go over, we introduce something to them. We talk to them about what Jesus said, or we're uh, taking off. We used to talk about what the big council lesson, the big lesson was about, we'd ask them a question. And they, they may not give you the right answer. We're asking them about a verse. What, what, does, it, what does it mean uh, to be forgiven? And, and they, they, they don't know, you know. They, they give you some answer that's wrong. And so we restate the question. That makes it a little clearer for them, so that they can have a better chance of getting the right answer. I think that's what Pilate's doing here. He's giving them a, a, a do-over. Okay, okay, I'm going to ask you again. Which uh, of these do you want me to re- release to you? Uh, but but they still insisted that they wanted Barabbas. And uh, so, Pilate comes at it again. You know, which of the two? They want Barabbas. Luke tells us that uh, that directly that Pilate did this. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. Third question. Alright, third question in verse 22. <laughs> What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? There he says it again. He's Christ. He's your Messiah. What do you want me to do with your Messiah? Trying to remind them that the fate of their Messiah is in hand. Okay. Um, Sometimes as an adult, as parents, you know, you're going through your child's room and the, the children sometimes have a tendency to leave a mess. And so you say, uh, what do you want me to do with all this stuff? The kid says, I don't care. Well, what if you got a little more specific? Uh, what, what, what would you want me to do? Uh, what would you like me to do with your Nintendo Switch and your new pair of shoes? Oh, a little different answer maybe right? Don't don't get rid of that stuff. Hold on to that stuff. So I think Jesus is trying to come at it with emphasizing the value of, of the Lord. Pilate is coming to emphasize the value of Jesus, so hopefully to get a little different answer to, from, the, from the people. The, the one who's claiming to be the Son of God, you know, Pilate's interaction uh, with with the Sanhedrin, uh, with Jesus regarding his claim to be the Son of God, it proved to Pilate that Jesus was innocent and he caused the governor to make every effort to release him okay Uh, what did they say what's the answer third question let him be crucified same answer let him be crucified coldly callously criminally they said we don't care they called for the release of the man who was guilty of the very things that they were accusing Jesus of insurrection sedition Revolt its criminal. One last question. Last asked question is in verse 23. And he said, why? What evil has he done? What evil has Jesus done? Pilate knew that Jesus had done no evil. He had interacted with Jesus regarding the accusation that he had been called the Son of God. And so he made every effort to release him. Look at John chapter 19, verse 12. Um, As a result of this, Pilate made every efforts to release him. But the Jews shouted, saying, If you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Yeah. Efforts to release him. Made me think of uh, back in Daniel chapter 6, King Darius, after he'd been tricked into sending Daniel into the lion's den, he made every effort to release him. Except in my mind, he should have fed the lions, but uh, he didn't. But uh, it's all for God's glory. You know, my devious mind works as well. Why didn't he just, uh, you know, chuck a bunch of meat in there and let the lions fill up first? But that wouldn't have been proven the the power and the grace of God, would it? And the mercy of God to, to rescue Daniel. Ironically, The pagan ruler was more judicious in the treatment of Jesus than the religious leaders. Pagan who had no vested interest in Jesus. The crowd and these leaders wanted blood. They didn't want justice. They kept crying for his... Crucifixion without any credible evidence of his guilt. They kept shouting all the more, it says in verse 23, let him be crucified. They kept, they kept, they kept. They insisted, they insisted, they insisted. I got back from Arizona. I tell you what, it was 93, 95 degrees on Saturday. It was 93 on Sunday. I got back here and it's cold. It's cold on Tuesday night. It was cold on Wednesday. It was cold on Thursday. It's cold, it cold on Friday. It's cold on Saturday. It's cold today. It just kept getting cold. Cold and cold and cold. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Cold heart. Called for his crucifixion. Shouting all the more intensely. Despite Jesus' innocence, they cried, crucify him. And this rejection shouldn't just be placed at their feet. It should cause each of us to understand that the same devious heart, the same devious sin, courses through our veins. Apart from God's grace, we would have been in the crowd, crying, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. You know, you wonder how the heinous things like what's happening in Ukraine can take place in the world. It's been going on forever since the creation of man. The wickedness of our heart is evident and it should bring us to our knees. And I ask you this morning, whether you're here in person or online, are you still rejecting this Jesus who is the Christ? Are you rejecting the evidence that he is the Messiah come to save his people from their sins? Are you still thumbing your nose at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords crying out for his crucifixion? I plead with you to turn from your sin and don't be among that crowd yelling crucify but be among those who say, Lord, I thank you that you went willingly for me. And Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 11. We looked at it. Come to me, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's an invitation to come to him for salvation. To turn from our sins and to trust in him as our Lord and our Master. The innocent who died for the guilty. So we can be free. Finally, we see in this text that Pilate's insistence declares our Lord's innocence. In verses 24 through 26, Pilate's insistence is evidenced in two actions. First of all, Pilate's affirmation of Jesus' innocence in verse 24. When the Sanhedrin, they had threatened Pilate. We read that, that he had, they had threatened Pilate with being an enemy of Caesar. You can't be a... a can't call yourself a king and, and not be an enemy of Caesar. If you're going to support Jesus, then that makes you an enemy of Caesar. And he understood uh, that his efforts to release Jesus were futile. And so the text says he was accomplishing nothing, verse 24. But a riot, a riot was starting. And so what did Pilate choose? Political expediency over what's right. And I was kind of, hadn't really thought of this until I'd done some reading on it and and then it was pointed out, you know what? Easy to point my finger at Pilate. But let's stop and think for a minute. Every time we choose what is woke over what God's Word says, every time we choose our vocation over our conviction, every time we choose to be silent rather than to stand up for the lives of the unborn, for religious freedom, for the poor, for those who are truly the victims of crime, for those who are being discriminated against on whatever basis it might be, we choose to be silent rather than stand up. We are no different Pilate. Guilty. Guilty of political expedient. What will they think of me? I might be, I might be, you know, banned from Twitter. You know, what are my 20 followers going to do? You know, they won't have my voice of wisdom. I might get ousted from Facebook. Instead of standing for Jesus. It's a sad thing for Pilate. I mean, you can feel his pain. I mean, he's an he's important guy, you know. He, he had a lot more to lose. You know, he had more Facebook followers than I do. So he was really worried. And in fact, he was worried about his head because Caesar was not as merciful as a lot of other people. But folks, let's don't fool ourselves. Let's don't compromise our convictions. Let's don't choose my job over Jesus. Let's don't choose silence over standing up, as God calls us to, for those who are really hurting, the oppressed, and the needy in our society, in our world. And for what God's Word says is true. The people who capitulate to the world are Headed for an eternity apart from Christ. And it's our duty, it's our job, it's our responsibility, it's our privilege to point them to Jesus. Not to say, well, sorry, I, 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 really, I, I probably should say something, but I'm not going to today. Pilate took a couple of timid steps to attempt to validate Jesus' innocence and to incriminate those who were calling for justice. He, he washed his hands in front of the multitude, verse 24, saying, I'm innocent of this symbolic gesture, absolving him of responsibility, even though he did have responsibility. But he was basically pointing to place the blame on them, which is the, the second step. He, he declared, I'm innocent of this man's blood, which was in effect a way to say that Jesus was innocent. I don't think he's guilty. Jesus is innocent. And then, uh, not only did he affirm Jesus' innocence, but Pilate assigned guilt to the people. At the end of verse 24, he says, His blood, uh, no, verse 24, he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. You see that? See to that yourselves. And then what do they say? His blood be on us and our children. I wouldn't want to call that on my, my children. It's a horrendous statement of guilt. And interestingly enough, Pilate gave them what he wanted, or what they wanted, Jesus, and they gave Pilate what he wanted. He wanted to be absolved. He wanted it to be their responsibility. But in the end, they, they, both, they all lost because he was guilty as much as they were. It says all the people took the blame. All the people took the blame. But on a deeper level, Christ's death rests on all of us. When you think about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. Well, who's the just? Jesus, who's the unjust? Oh, well, everybody else. Having put to death in the flesh. But made alive in the Spirit so that he he might bring us to God. He, He died so that he might bring us to God. That's his purpose. That was what he wanted to do. We're reconciled only through faith in Christ. And this is the message. Jesus died for us. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God. You see, we're born not at peace with God. At at peace with God means that there's no animosity between us and God. But when we're sinful people, God's wrath rests upon us. But through faith in Jesus, that wrath is taken away. Jesus took the wrath of God on himself so that if we put our faith or our trust, as Paul says, therefore having been justified, declared right, right standing with God through faith in Christ... We're at peace with God, so do you want to be an object of God's wrath or an object of God's relief? And Paul goes on in Romans chapter 5 and verses 6 through 8, and he says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you're either hearing this and it's like it's old news. And if it's old news, I hope it's fresh old news. That the innocent son of God was so unjustly condemned on the cross for us. That our wickedness is exposed. And we are so, so grateful. That by His grace, He brought us into His family. And if you're here and that's not true, or listening and not true, then you will see it maybe very for the very first time that He died so you could be free. That's the message of Easter. That's the message of Christianity. Christ died for us. And Paul goes on in Romans 10, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is Him from the dead, you will be saved, saved from your sins. For the heart we believe resulting in righteousness, with the mouth we confess resulting in salvation. That's the message that God has for us. And Pilate's actions didn't contradict uh, his claim of innocence. They they, they, they contradicted it, actually. He said Jesus was innocent, but then he treated him as guilty because he turned him over to the people. He did not prevent the miscarriage of justice. He participated in the miscarriage of justice. And the, the release of rebellious Barabbas stands in stark contrast to righteous Jesus who was crucified. Now think about this, and it's just in the, in the text. I'm going to touch on it a bit. But it says that he, was, he, he, he sentenced him to scourging. And scourging was one of the most cruel and painful means of torture. Where a whip with leather straps had embedded pieces of glass and metal and bone. That was used to whip the back of the person who was scourged. Ripping out chunks of flesh as this was taking place. And sometimes, even according to Acts 4, it causes death. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Some of you will be aware of this and some of you won't. You can Google it if you want to. Uh, Many, many years ago, O.J. Simpson was on trial for murder. And the evidence was mounting heavily against him. And he was, in the criminal trial, declared innocent of of the murder. The evidence for Jesus was of innocence. And yet, he received the punishment of death. And I'm here to say that I think his innocence is an injustice that should grab all of our attention. If you're not a child of God, you're an unbeliever, then you should consider that we who are guilty should have paid the penalty. In fact, all of us who are guilty will pay the penalty, except for those who accept what Jesus did as a substitute in their place. They will be declared not guilty before God, and that's where I want us all to be. And it's only if you would cry out in your own heart and say, Lord, I realize I'm the one who's guilty and you're the one who died in my place and I accept what you did for me. Thank you. Now I'm yours. That's what I call you to do. And those of us who know Jesus and trust in Christ, think about it. Maybe this is not right, I don't know, but I thought, of what, a, what a thing is, Barabbas, is in effect a picture to us of what Christ has done. The the guilty was given freedom because the innocent died in his place. If you know Jesus, that's what happened. We were guilty and we were given freedom because Jesus died in our place. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. And a love that moved the innocent to die as a substitute should move us not only to rejoice, but also to commit our lives to live for him who died for us. And so as as we close our service and we think about taking the elements that are on your seat, the the bread, uh, which I don't know if you can call that stuff bread, but the the wafer and, and the juice. You think about it this way. They symbolize his body broken and his blood shed on the cross. It's a reminder that it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. My sin that held him there until it was accomplished. The same rebellion and corruption that prompted the religious leaders to incite the crowd and move the crowd to cry for Jesus runs through me. And only by God's grace am I free. Because I accept what Jesus did on the cross, and you can accept it too. And so, as you think about it, and the next, as the, as the praise team comes and leads us in this next song, as you think about that, I, I pray that if you don't know Jesus, you will accept Him as your Savior, and if you do know Jesus, you'll just reflect for a while upon your own wickedness that's exposed by Jesus' innocence, and you'll give glory and praise and adoration and thanksgiving to the God who sent His Son and He died for you. And then, at the appropriate time, when you feel led, you take. the the little wafer, and you take the cup and you drink it in celebration of what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, so much for uh, your son's innocence uh, that exposes the wickedness of those of us who are the beneficiaries of his sacrifice. I pray that we would uh, appreciate more fully all that you've done for us I pray that as we take this time that we would confess any known sin, get our hearts right with you, and take these elements as a reminder of the joy that we have that we've been forgiven through the price that you paid through your Son. We pray in Jesus' name.